think about moments when you thought you should have raised your hand and volunteered for a project or a program that you think you should have done, that you're good at, that you were just too afraid to put your hand up for. Think about that moment and go for it. And don't be afraid to raise your hand up in a room full of people or even with your boss or whatever it is. Think about that project that you really wanted to do and put your hand up for it. Go for it. Welcome to the Leaders with Babies podcast. My name is Verena Hefti. I am the CEO and founder of the Social Enterprise Leaders Plus. With this podcast and our award-winning Leaders Plus Fellowship program, I want to give you access to inspiration and practical support so you can continue to progress your career whilst enjoying your young children. Today's conversation is all about finding a sponsor that is a senior leader who advocates for you, believes in you and champions you. And that's so critical. The evidence is very clear that having a sponsor makes a massive difference for career progression of parents. But also, of course, it's pretty helpful when you have to have those tough negotiations about flexible working. I'm having a conversation with two of our fantastic mentors, Radhika Bajaj and Fiona Jackson, who share their stories of how they managed to find senior leaders to champion them early on in their career as working parents. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. If you want to get involved in what we do or support us, please do share this podcast with anyone that you think you could get benefit. And also, if you want to get involved with the fellowship program, you can sign up to our newsletter online on leadersplus.org.uk when you'll get an update about the applications opening again. Enjoy the chat. Okay, so very warm welcome, Radhika and Fiona, to the podcast. It is wonderful to have two of our fantastic mentors for this conversation today. Why don't we start with you introducing yourself, who you are, who is in your family and what you do for a job. And let's start with you, Radhika. Right. Thank you, Verena. I'm thrilled to be part of this initiative. I think especially in these times, talking to people, having their perspectives, exchanging stories is really meaningful. And I think this initiative is, is lovely. I am a talent acquisition professional. I have worked in the technology sector all my career, and I essentially lead digital transformation hiring for my business currently. And I have gone through the journey of you know having a baby, managing a career through her growing up years, and she's now a lovely 11-year-old who challenges everything that I ask her to do. So it's, it's been an interesting journey. And I think, you know, Leaders Plus and what they're trying to do with, you know, helping people go through that journey, just sharing stories and, and you know, advising and exchanging stories is brilliant. Yeah, happy to be here today. Mm, thank you very much, Radhika. How about you, Fiona? Who are you? Who's in your family? And what do you do for work? <laughs> Hi, Bruna. So, yeah, I'm Fiona Jackson. I have set up my own diversity and inclusion consultancy a year ago, having left corporate world which I worked in for about, I'm going to say 29 years, but then that makes me feel really old. So a large number of years. I've worked in the energy sector across a number of different companies in mostly commercial roles. So my history is in being, to be quite honest, one of the only women in the room, an awful lot when it comes to hedging strategy, pricing, etc. And so much so that it made me passionate. I set up a women's network at, at EDF. And then from there on, just got into DNI. So I've made it my massive career change mid career. Don't regret a minute of it. Wonderful. In terms of my family, I worked in that corporate world having two children. I've got two boys. One's now 20 and is at uni, and the other one's 16 and just started his A levels. And whilst, 
you know, you live through the early years and you think it's challenging. It, it never goes away. You know, even at 16, the stress that we had over the GCSE results recently or lack of GCSEs, you know, they just need you differently. And so really happy to be here to share some of my experiences. Mm. Yeah, so my oldest is four years old. And yeah, it's interesting what you're both saying. A lot of people do say that actually when they get to the teens is somehow when they need you more and that's when they need you immediately you can't just send them off to a childminder for a day and then that's sorted yeah interesting so the reason why I asked you both to have a chat is because you both had experiences of getting a sponsor and obviously the evidence is very clear that a sponsor which is someone who supports you who champions you who advocates for you behind the scenes that makes a massive difference to career progression especially for mothers but of course also for other individuals and I think we just you know quite often we don't talk about how to find people who advocate for yourself it's something that you hear about if you're part of an old boys network but I would just love to explore with you your story of getting and finding those sponsors so Fiona did you always know how important it was for other senior leaders to champion you or is it something that you learned along the way I didn't realize it and actually looking back at it with hindsight I don't think I knew the word sponsor existed it's one that I become aware of since I've moved into that sort of diversity and inclusion world and started to really understand what makes a difference at the time I was more interested in just finding relationships and people who could mentor I've had a, probably a couple of sponsors in my time And both of them started as mentoring relationships. They really started in that just sort of getting advice and learning from them. And they evolved over time as the relationship differed. And as we got to know each other and as, you know, they started to realize what I wanted to do with my career. So I don't think I ever said, can you be my sponsor? But I did start with, will you mentor me? Can we spend some time together? And it developed from there. And what did you define a sponsor as, Fiona? So sponsorship is where that person isn't just sitting in a room and having that meeting with you and giving it, sharing their experience. You know, that, that's one thing. But it's when, when they come out of that room and they're in the meetings that they're in that decide who gets what project, who do we think ought to be encouraged to apply for that job. Not necessarily that's going to be tapped on the shoulder to have the job, but actually who do we want to encourage to take part in these processes and encourage them and get them visible. And I think it started for me with, a managing director a few layers up from me when I first started expressing an interest in getting more women from the more junior levels into I was middle management at the time and from there we just developed a really strong relationship and he was the one going hold on we've been on a reorg Fiona needs to be in this level where's she going what are we going to put her in you know and getting visible there so it evolved and was very powerful. Mm, interesting and how about you Radhika was it something that you always knew that was important to get someone to advocate for you or was it something that you learned along the way? Yeah, I wish I'd, I'd, I'd known about this early on in my career. I keep talking about this to people that I'm, you know, whenever I'm in a mentoring session or with my team. I think the importance of a sponsor is not, I think, spoken about enough, honestly, because we are a corporate world of chasing career goals everywhere. And I think we have to acknowledge and understand that this is really an important step, an internal marketing tool, so to speak, for yourself. And you must make use of it with no shame. You must be able to step up there and recognize the need for it and identify it early on in your career. I would say that I was, well, I was in a 
position where I got picked up by a sponsor because, you know, as the adage goes, you don't look for a sponsor. That's what the traditional adage says, that you, you look for a mentor, not a sponsor. But I think in today's times, we, we have to change that adage. We, we have to look for a sponsor, someone who knows what your strengths are, someone who's willing to talk about it and back you and invest in your career. And I think I was fortunate enough to have that at an early start in my career. Yeah, I must say I may not have had it at all stages of my career, but at a time when I was really young and raring to go and, and I was like firing all guns all over the place, I did have a sponsor who backed me up, pushed me into really challenging assignments early on in my career. And that's I realized that much later that this is what she was doing. And in my world, in, in talent as a profession, in HR as a profession, diversity, sometimes, you know, positive discrimination is what we need. There's so many women around us and we all bring our strengths and values. Obviously, each of us do. So you have to really work hard to make sure that you're differentiating yourself if you want to do well and if you really are passionate about what you want to pursue and where you see your career goals. But yeah, I would say, you know, to be able to stand up in front of a sponsor before you do that, I would advise anyone who's thinking along those lines to be really cognizant of what is it that you want to do. Have your career goal in your head mapped. Understand yourself really well. Understand what your strengths are. What is it that you want to play up? And what is it that you want to offer to the organization, to the sponsor? Because performance is key. Your ethics and what you bring to the table is key. And that's all a given. And you have to understand that very well because you you are your first marketing, I think, tool. And then when you walk up to a sponsor, you know, the magic really happens. And you realize the social capital that our sponsor brings to the table and how they can really leverage that and then push you into the right direction. Mm. And can you say a bit more about that moment when you, I think you said you got picked by a sponsor. Tell us a bit more about that moment and what you think were the enabling conditions that led to you being sponsored, even though you didn't set out for it? Yeah, no, it's interesting because, you know, all of that for me, when it happened, I didn't realize what was happening. And I picked this, but Severina, when you send that note out to us for, you know, thinking about it, and that's when I realized that I must talk about this because there are so many people in the world who, to whom this is happening, I'm sure, but you don't realize it is and you don't make the most of that opportunity. So when I started off my career as a sort of search consultant, I was working in a different country in a different environment, but because I was, you know, I was so sort of focused on making my mark, like, like so many of us are, you know, we really want to be aggressive and do well in what you're doing and all of that. And I got picked for setting up a whole sort of proposition. It was a lot of research and hard work in an area that was just getting privatized in the country at that point in time. I had to literally walk into government offices and try and it was just something that nobody in the, in the organization had done before. And, and only a young, passionately mad person could have gotten into it. And because I had been very vocal about what I wanted to do, that I wanted to do more, you know, I wanted to do more than what my job remit was at that point in time. The company CEO said, okay, you know, since you talk a lot in all of the meetings, why don't you just go ahead and do this? So that's not when I realized it. I realized it later, the experience that it gave me for the next year. It just propelled me onto a different level. I was probably one of the younger managers who got onto that platform very quickly at that point in time. It was just brilliant. And I realized that much later. And I don't think I even thanked my mentor for it. I mean, my sponsor for it properly. I have a great relationship with her today. I'm still in touch with her after all these years because we both know that that time when it happened and we both benefited from it. So it is something that we must have the intelligence to acknowledge and understand. I didn't at that point in time. And I would like, you know, some of the younger people today to, to understand that and to be able to fine tune your elevator pitch better. 
Mm, it's interesting. So what, what happened there is that she clearly saw something in you, gave you a massive opportunity, you jumped at it, but also you said she benefited. So she, I presume, looked good because of what the amazing stuff that you did. Is that fair to say? Yeah, she probably did have to. I mean, this is not about, yeah, this is sounding as if like I was this brilliant star who walked in and did everything. It wasn't like that. But yeah, I mean, she definitely saw the potential of someone who would work hard in a sort of slightly unstructured project, which could have gone either ways. But but I had by then, I think, established my credentials of someone who would work hard, had the right work ethics, understood enough about the organization to be able to invest in it and, and run with that project, which we didn't know which direction it was going at that point in time. But yeah, I think she saw that potential that, yes, she could run with it and let's just give it to her. So I would say that, yes, you have to establish in front of the right audience that you're willing to go the extra mile. You have to be vocal about that in whatever way you think is vocal. Vocal can be many different ways. So you have to be able to differentiate yourself from the pack in front of the right audience. I think that's key to find the sponsor and to be able to get the spotlight onto you at the right time. It's really crucial. And I think that's a really important point just to come in on that one is that your sponsor and definitely my sponsor put me on a project very similarly, actually, which was a very big, high profile project. And actually, by advocating for you and saying, I'd like to join that project, if that had gone wrong, it would have reflected on them. You exactly. know, so there is really some risk in it with a sponsor, which exactly. is why I think that that relationship is so important from that perspective. And I totally agree about showing well. So yeah, you can do all the hard work, but actually you've also got to get it visible in front of the right people. And my very early career experience of that sort of sponsorship approach came when we were opening up the electricity market. And I was with a major competitor that needed to lose market share. You know, they had to get rid of customers because of the regulation. And I predicted, and I did the modeling that predicted that if we didn't start selling again and start selling really seriously now, we wouldn't go below that market share that we had to get as a baseline that the regulator said. And I, I wouldn't get listened to. It wasn't get listened to. And I literally got an appointment with the marketing director and just said, this is what I'm doing and this is what I'm seeing. And you have to know this because this is really important to the bottom line and the whole strategy of what you're doing with the sales force. And I think one of the things I did there is I had a really good relationship with the PAs. Definitely advocate making strong relationships with the PAs of senior people as well, because they're the people that can get you in the diaries. And she got me in his diary 15 minutes and I was just straight out. This is what I found. This is what you need to know. Here's the business impact. And from there on in, I got known as somebody who had potentially made a real difference to the business. And that led to bigger and better things. Mm. And then it's very interesting as well, is that actually what you did in that situation, it was business critical. It was really making a difference to the aims and the goals of the whole business rather than just something focused on improving marginally something that only affects your team. Mm. Mm. Interesting. So an introvert listening to this, I can imagine might cringe because they might assume that this is not exactly enjoyable. Putting yourself in front of senior people, shouting about your successes is not enjoyable. What is your view on that? And are any of you two introverts? This is a brilliant question, Verena. I mean, so perceptive to spot it at the right time. Yeah. So I think in today's world, if you are going to be silent about your work and let the work speak for itself, 
I'm afraid I don't think we live in that world. So earlier I said, you know, vocalizing your work can be in different ways. Vocalizing doesn't necessarily have to be a flashy pitch in front of a big audience. So vocalizing is about making sure that you take credit for what you have done. And that could be, I mean, for someone who's working with data, someone who's working in the background with presentations and pitches and with just data modeling, with anything, you know, anything, just anyone who's working in the sort of background and backstage, you have to own your piece and make sure that, that it is yours and you put your stamp on it. So it doesn't have to be a pitch in front of an audience, but you have to have your stamp on it. You have to own your piece. And this is what I did and this is what I'm responsible for. This is my work. So the risks and the accolades are, you know, have to be rolled into the same thing and you have to own it. So it doesn't, yeah, an introvert doesn't have to be worried about pitching in front of a big audience. But if you've put in a good piece of work and you back yourself up at the critical junctures of business decisions, you must be able to say that, yes, I stand by my recommendation or I, this is what I did and this is what I do. You don't have to do it with a big audience. You can do it with a small audience as well and still get your point across. Totally agree. I don't think it's about, I don't think it's about introversion, extroversion. So I am very extrovert. I am quite happy talking in front of an audience of a thousand, but the impact you need to have is personal and it's more of a one-to-one thing. And and it can be, I totally agree with Radka. I, I was totally insistent on all the pieces of work I did had my name on them as author or co-author or, you know, I use the word I in meetings when you were talking about work I use the word I in interviews too many people say we and it was all a bigger team effect but actually you need to be able to say authentically when it was you and I think that's part of the problem and particularly my experience working a lot with women is that we don't want to be that big brassy salesperson that's blowing their own trumpet and it's a load of hot air I think what you need to find is your own authentic way to be confident in what you are doing that is good. And that often comes, I, the best advice I give you is to ask other people what you're good at. And every time you get a piece of positive bit of feedback, write it down and save it in a document so that when it comes to thinking about going to do one of these big, scary conversations or having an elevator pitch ready so that if you bump into somebody that's quite senior that could help you, that you can present yourself well. But having these positive people, pieces that other people have told you you've done well really helps with that authenticity because it's not you saying it, it's what other people have said about you. Yeah. So definitely collect those as you go. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, so I'm running another mentorship program within the organization. So there's this young, bright person who's tumbling at the interview stage and not, I mean, he's a big tick box on everything. Resume, great. He still has a job, even in these times for it, for someone who's just gotten out of university. So I think it's about reaffirming to yourself what you're good at and then, you know, walking into the room or actually pitching that case of, you know, this is what I did. This is my piece of work. You have to own that and you have to hold on to that, that belief that this is what I'm great at. And I am putting this piece of work forward because, you know, I'm good at this and I can do this. But you have to have the clarity in your head. So the sponsor, finding the sponsor, sponsor backing you is the second stage. You first have to internally be absolutely sure and ready with that, you know, pitch in your head that I'm good at this stuff. You know, these are the things that I can do really well. And this is why I'm here. So yeah, I totally agree with you. It's mm. first with you. Mm. Very interesting. And Fiona, with your example of you just had a burning problem, you really knew this had to be sorted for the organization. You actually didn't go in there in order to promote yourself. You went in there with a purpose. And I think that's quite helpful for many people, like thinking, what is my purpose here? And then doing the big, brave things around that purpose, which also making sure that you are getting the credit for it rather than others. So just practically then, 
let's unpick your experience. So first you outperformed and you said yes. And then you got in front of the right people. And then what? What did you do that other people might be able to replicate that made that person really sponsor you? Was there something else or is it not really tangible? I think it's consistency because actually once you've been noticed, it's easier to be noticed, if that makes sense. So when a more senior person doesn't, you know, they might know you exist in the team and they know who you are, but they don't really know you. Then that first point where you've made an impact does get you noticed and it enables you to have more conversations. And I think if you had a very favorable response that time, then it is about the persistence, you know, ask for career advice. You know, if you've made an impression because you do something big with the business, then go and actually say, right, I'm really thinking about the next stage of my career. Create opportunities to keep meeting with them. You could ask them to be your mentor. You could ask them to be a sponsor, but create opportunities to meet them, even if it's bumping into the corridor, constantly saying hello, you know, physically being visible, which I know is harder in a Zoom world. Take opportunities to send things that you think are really important to them that you might have seen or heard or something, but just take little opportunities to to drip in. Because after I'd met this guy that time in his office, he then knew who I was. So when we met each other again, we could chat, you know, and I made sure that I was, I had that little bit of an elevator pitch about what I was working on and why it was important next time so that we built that relationship over time. And eventually we got to the point where I was getting quite strong career advice and he was doing that advocacy. So I don't think it's a sudden realization, but it might've been different for Radica. For me, these, both of my relationships have been growing ones that I then felt more confident in as I went along to ask for more. Right. Very interesting. I mean, career advice is really a good piece of advice for people who are on that journey because you are not alone. I mean, you don't have to battle this whole big thing on your own. You you can have people around you. What I really want to add, you know, at this point is, is sponsors are not necessarily people that you want to emulate or people that you want to become or people who are exactly who who are on the same career path that you're on. Sponsors are people who are influential, who have a social capital within the organization, who can make a difference in the business. So they don't necessarily have to understand where you want to get to only if it is beneficial to the business and if it is beneficial to what you're doing. You know, there's a correlation between what you're doing and and where it leads up to for the bigger business good. Then, Then that works out really well. So I think, yeah, people who are looking to have sponsors back them up must keep that in mind that you have to look at in a slightly wider perspective. It's not just if I'm a technology specialist today, I'm looking at someone exactly on that path and want to become just that, not necessarily. It could be someone in that seniority at that level with the leadership who can actually benefit from what you're doing as a business. So it just sort of, I think, keeps your mind a little bit open and work around that. Mm. Brilliant. Now, obviously, the whole point of this podcast is to support parents to continue to progress up the career ladder but also parents are people who tend to have quite a lot of on their plate already for the two of you how did you balance the need i presume you know you probably wanted to be home on time often you had all those other commitments but at the same time you were able to outperform and impress a potential sponsor and focus on that relationship how did you square those things? What Was that a challenge for you in any way? Yes, <laughs> the answer is the short answer. Yeah, of course, it's a challenge. There's always all those plates spinning. And I've always envisaged it as all the different parts of my life are all 
plates. You know those showgrounds? We have a stick and a plate going round on it. Always felt like I've just got loads of those going. And so one of the biggest things for me, I think there's two things. One is prioritise and two is set some boundaries. So the prioritise one for me is sometimes you need to pay more attention to something at a certain point in time. So it might be a family issue takes a bit more of your attention. It might be a big major project or a crisis takes a bit more of your attention and you get more help and support with the family side. So I prioritise the plates both across holistically my life, but then also within work. You know, there's some plates where you sort of think, well, could someone else keep spinning it? You know, delegate, prioritise how well you have to do something. I remember the, the best bit of advice I was given when I moved into a senior role and I was really struggling with capacity to get everything done. And I spoke to my line manager at the time and I said, how do you get all this done? And he said, well, because I don't do all of it perfectly. And speaking to a lot of women, I know sometimes we struggle with it having to be perfect and some things do have to be perfect. And it's about priorities which have to be perfect at work and which can be good enough. And where is good enough going to be something that means you can spend a bit less time on it? because you spending this bit of time on it will get it 75% in good enough for that point. Where has it got to be perfect? And I think starting to prioritise and not expecting perfection every time is a place to go. Because as you said earlier, if it's really important, Radhika, it's got to be done really well because it's going to be a standout piece and you want to be good. So that's where you put lots of effort. There's some things that could be good enough. So I think that's one thing I think about in terms of that letting go of perfection and prioritising your plates. And then the second one is I did really have some boundaries to stick to. You know, I haven't missed a school sports day. I haven't not been to teacher forums. They were like in the diary, the date they were known, and they were not movable. And I don't care if you're the CEO. They're really important to me. And I'd really happily tell you why they're important to me, because that sports day will never happen again in my child's life, ever. And so I think that's quite helpful. To know what your boundaries are. So did you sometimes have to say no to the CEO on that sports day example? I did sometimes have to say that's really difficult for me because of this, that and the other and find ways around it and find ways to contribute what they need you to contribute in a way that gives the business what it needs that might not necessarily be at that time. And it's quite funny, actually, mentoring the lady I'm mentoring at the moment she was telling me that she got a meeting put in her diary for 6.30 and the minute she went back to somebody and said, that's really not a time I can make at the moment because of this, that and the other, they went, oh, yeah, no, that's fine. I can do it tomorrow then. So sometimes I think we assume things have to happen at the time because it's just gone in the diary at that time and have the conversations and talk about it. Don't just assume that's because when someone else has put it in the diary that they're expecting you to do it or it's that priority. So, But I did really have boundaries and I think that's down to how... I was very conscious as a working mum and a full-time working mum nearly all of my life that I had to give my kids the time that they deserved as well and get that balance. Yeah, no, great point. I mean, great point about boundaries and assuming some things about things. I mean, my circumstances have been a little bit different. I must say I've missed quite a few of the sports days and stuff, but I used to be traveling quite a bit in my last role. So what I'd like to add to this is I've been a full-time working mum with the job requiring a lot of travel some time back. So I'd say to that question, really, I think it varies with each one of us because each of us circumstances are different. Some of us live with partners, some of us don't, and it's a combination of, you know, permutation combinations. But I know that I've learned this the hard way as a new mom and then graduating to become a regular mom. You don't have to do this superstar act of juggling everything yourself. You must ask and enlist and delegate 
completely, fully and, you know, intelligently. When you're clever with your job, you can do your job so well. I'm sure you can do your, you know, manage your kids and your work well as well. So I think you have to just be really pragmatic about enlisting help. And, and I mean, in my case, I mean, it, it may be different for each, each people, you know, each of us. You know, my husband is a fully functional dad. <laughs> he needs to be 100% on the job as I am. So between the two of us, we are hands-on parents. And I'm very clear, and so is he. When he has important stuff to do, I back him up and, and it's the other way around. So I think it's important to understand that you don't have to be superstar parents. You have to enlist help and enlist the support that is available to you, whatever that is. That could be family, it could be childcare, whatever it is. Just, just do it cleverly, intelligently, and make sure that you're giving each of your responsibilities, you know, the best of resources available. Make use of those resources. Don't not make use of it just because you want to be conscientiously doing everything yourself. It's a trap that new moms fall into very often. So did I. And then you learn that, yeah, your child is going to benefit from qualitative sort of approach to parenting rather than, you know, just sort of big tasks. So I think that's key for me, that balance. Mm. Oh, and get rid of the guilt. Please, everybody, get rid of the guilt. You know, you are all doing your best with what you've got, with the team around you. Start thinking about the positive things you're achieving instead of, you know, let's forget the guilty things that you did, what you didn't do. You know, best endeavours. I, I think guilt's a very negative emotion when it comes to how you do parenting and work because you could be guilty for everything. I think turn it on its head and think about what you're doing that's positive and let go of what you haven't done. Mm. That's all very wise advice. And on that guilt, I do actually have sometimes people who are on maternity leave or share parental leave who are telling me they really do want to, as part of the program, we talk about sponsorship, so it comes up, and who tell me they really want to invest time and thinking space into finding a sponsor pretty soon after they've returned from maternity leave or share parental leave. But part of them obviously feels is that element of guilt as well. It, Like you say, oh, you know, am I still a good mom or dad if I focus my work on impressing some senior leader? Do you think it's different for people who have very recently returned from maternity or share parental leave in terms of finding a sponsor? Is there something that they can do, assuming that they probably don't have that much time because they're still getting used to the new world of nursery pickups and so on? I think, you know, we live in a very good world as far as returners are concerned. And I'm thrilled to say that, you know, corporate world has made huge strides in that area. I mean, we have a long way to go, of course. There's always good stuff to do. But we've come a huge way from the good old days of the whole challenge of coming back from maternity and just having a small, you know, a sort of 10-month-old baby at home. I think the world has moved on, honestly. And there are so many returners. There's so many programs that organizations run which are exclusively, you know, there's that about positive discrimination. And lots of organizations understand the power of positive discrimination and how some programs are aligned and focused. So I would say if you are looking to return, I would say aggressively look for those kind of programs. And if there aren't any programs, challenge your organization to start one and talk about it with your L&D teams, with your OD teams, with your HR VPs. Challenge the organization to think about it because we live in a real world today. And the world has changed so much in just the last 10 months. We work completely remotely, happily. You know, there was a day when we were all obsessed about getting to work on time. And to think that we live in an alternate reality and, and at least most businesses are doing remarkably well with coping with it, you know, in terms of just keeping up with the businesses and organizations are doing everything they can to just, just you know, stick to that schedule. So I think we live in a very different world today. 
And we must acknowledge and make use of that. And as I said, I would totally recommend people to challenge their organization to question their policies if they don't have one, and then they totally should have one. I agree. Um, it's positive action that those organisations are taking, actually, just, just yeah. to, to illustrate, because positive discrimination is actually illegal and we don't want people doing that. <laughs> but positive action to encourage more diversity in their organisations through putting on these programmes is, is a really good idea. And, and programmes like yours, Rena, are fantastic. I do think you can ask for a sponsor, but I would also think about what you need personally at the time when you go back, because it's a really difficult time to settle back into that balance. And my nervousness about jumping straight in and saying, oh, I've got to have a sponsor, is you may be struggling a little bit. You may not be totally as successful as you want to be immediately whilst you're working this all out. You know, so I totally agree. Take the support, delegate, but it's all new. And maybe give yourself a bit of time to settle back in to get to the point where your systems and processes and how you live your life feels supportive. And then look for that sponsor to take you on to the next career. Now, I personally, going back off to maternity, had a fantastic boss and a really good buddy who helped me adjust to the changes that were going on in my life. And my boss gave me some good challenging projects and interesting work that continued to support me and make me, you know, give that performance, etc. But was I ready six months after going back to work for the next promotion? I probably wasn't. So but I know other people are different. So I, I think the other thing to say is if you don't feel pressurized like you have to, give yourself a chance to settle into your new normal. Because I think having kids is a point. big, big upheaval in your life. No, it's a great point, really. I mean, I think each one has to understand their own pace and, and such a great point. You know, you don't have to jump into finding a sponsor straight away. And, and yes, I think coming back from a maternity leave is one of those big change that women go through. It's one of those things which really set your pace and expect you to sort of change your lifestyle fairly. It's a fairly drastically different life that you lead after a baby. So yeah, I totally agree with what Fiona says. Yeah, take your time and, and find your pace and understand what is it that you need first. And as you say, it's so personal for everyone. But we also need to recognize that it's totally fine to take your time and do what you do is right for you at the right time but also you really 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 don't need to feel guilty about being ambitious it doesn't make you a worse mom it definitely doesn't make you a worse dad at all I, I, I went back to work really quickly after my second I had a nice long break after my first but after my second I was like I want to go back I really want to work I'm curious now what's really quickly is it like Swiss really quickly or just three months or? three months yeah. Three months I was ready to go back to work and my husband stayed at home and he spent quite a lot of time at home looking after those kids and we did some role reversal stuff and I really enjoyed it. So first time around it was such a shell shock, you know, having a first child is such a big upheaval in your life and it changes your values and your emotions and I cried all the time and all of that stuff and I had a bit of postnatal depression and so it took me quite a while to get ready to go back to work. Second time around, steaming in there give it, I want this, that's lovely, love my kids, doesn't stop me loving my kids, but I really wanted to get back on that career ladder. And I just think even, it doesn't vary from individual to individual, it varies within an individual over time. So yeah, either way, it's down to you. Mm, very true, wise advice. Actually, now you did mention depression and mental health, and I'm just, while I've got you both here, I would love to know, 
what, if anything, you really do that works for you in terms of looking after mental health. Mental health is a buzzword these days, and rightly so. But I think not often enough do we really share how we're looking after ourselves because it is tough to be a parent and to be a leader at the same time. It's also beautiful, but it is tough sometimes. What do you do to look after yourself? I do more work in a different way. So I volunteer with Girl Guiding and I've been doing it for a long time. And I run a unit which we've moved on Zoom. And it's really strange because when the pressure's on and you're sort of thinking, oh, God, I've got so much to do. I really wish I hadn't got guides tonight. And then you go to guides and the kids join in and they laugh and you can't think about work when you're trying to entertain 20 girls online and you're doing silly dances or you're putting avocado face masks on whilst trying to eat it and it's just so find something that brings you joy and make sure that even if you go into it going oh for god's sake I really can't have time to do this tonight I come out of it going I'm really pleased I did that tonight and it sort of resets you a bit so something something that floats your boat and give yourself time to do it. How about you, Radhika? Do you have something that works for you in terms of looking after yourself? Yeah, I mean, this is, again, a real world problem, pretty much. I mean, I know we overuse this now, but it is, I think it's a real kind of fear out there to sort of make sure that we keep our mental health along with the rest of it going. So for me personally, my you know time with my daughter is, is just great. It just sort of completely de-stresses me and it's just great fun. The fact that I get to spend more time now without the travel, for me, has been brilliant. For me, it's been a big, big takeaway so I think this really varies with people so it's about what is it that you want to do I picked up things that I've never done for years now I'm trying to fit that in into the three-hour travel that I used to have I'm curious what have you picked up are you suddenly a drum player or what did you end up picking up oh my god so I am a secret drummer I mean it's what a coincidence I really didn't know that yeah this is uncannily eerily right so I picked up writing and, and I've sort of started to submit submissions that I've never done in my entire life since college so yeah I mean things like that keep me going I just yeah it feels like I'm I'm starting to touch on things outside of just work and and just home because for me that is responsibility as well you have to be able to do things that is just you and and not just being a mom not just being at work so that works for me how interesting and you know it's fascinating because both of you, I thought you were going to say some things about exercise and meditations, which are all interesting and useful. But what is really interesting is that both of you picked a type of rest, which is very different from your day-to-day life, but it's actually, it's busy rest. And it just reminded me of Alex Pang, who we did an interview for another podcast. And he said that, I mean, he said it much more eloquently, but bottom line is if you rest well and in a way that recharges your brain which can be an active way like you do with girl guiding or writing that really changes your brain and changes how you feel and I think that's really powerful I've just ordered a rental piano which is arriving tomorrow so I'm extremely excited about it (laughs) it might all go very badly (laughs) but you know I think that's the sort of thing that seems to make a massive difference anyways not sure how we got onto this, but let's finish with, I really want people to have a practical thing they can take away. So they've heard you both. They want to have a sponsor. They're convinced that it's a good idea. What can they do? Two practical steps they can do next week. Ideally, less than five minutes. I would think about who that sponsor needs to be. Look at who's got the power through position or through reputation to take you the next step. 
that you want to go that you feel you could approach. So one is think about who they are quite carefully. And the second one is to make sure, as Radhika said, you know what you want and how you're going to find both a business and a personal reason to engage with them. There you go, short and sharp, that's what you wanted. Who is it and how are you going to engage with them in both a personal career but but a business way? Show how you're going to add value to that business and they'll pay a lot of attention. Fantastic. And that is definitely less than five minutes to do for someone. Radhika, is there anything practical that you wanted to say? You don't have to, but anything practical you want people to do next week? Yeah, just one thing. So if I'd advise anyone who's looking for a springboard or for that sponsor to think about moments when you thought you should have raised your hand and volunteered for a project or a program that you think you should have done, that you're good at, that you were just too afraid to put your hand up for, think about that moment and go for it. And don't be afraid to raise your hand up in a room full of people or even with your boss or whatever it is. Think about that project that you really wanted to do and put your hand up for it. Go for it. Mm, I love that advice. Brilliant. Because no one knows what's in your head until you articulate it out of your mouth. So how are they going to know what you want to do if you don't tell them? (laughs) Very true. Radhika, if people want to find out more about you, perhaps even connect with you virtually, where can they find out about you online? LinkedIn is a great place. I am quite active and connected with people. So I'd say LinkedIn is a great place to connect with me. I'm you know, happy to sort of catch up with people on it. Yeah. Fantastic. How about you, Fiona? Yeah, same for me. Fiona Jackson Consulting. I have got a website, but it's not very good. But you can contact me via it or find me on LinkedIn and send a request. Although put a note in the request explaining how I know you because you get a lot of requests. I'd really like to have something that says this is I've heard this podcast and like to connect. So please do that. Fantastic. Thank you very much both. Thank you for listening today. If you are looking to join a network of like-minded, ambitious individuals who are parents across sectors and you want to hear more from wonderful mentors, then do head to leadersplus.org.uk to register interest right now. If this podcast has helped you in any way, please take a moment to share it with three of your friends send them a whatsapp message or signal or whatever you're using and leave a review and most importantly hit the subscribe button that makes a massive difference because it helps us to reach more people and also will help us as we'll enter the podcasting awards in january so thank you in advance for supporting this work obviously like with any podcast five star reviews really help with the visibility until next time have a wonderful week